0: Hi everyone and welcome to Solidarity's Right to Refuge podcast. My name is Jenny and I'm one of the outreach officers here at Solidarity and I'm really excited to be joined today on the podcast by Amos Schoenfield. Amos is a community organiser, youth worker and activist who founded the organisation Our Second Home in 2017, which is a youth movement providing residential experiences and leadership training to help refugees and migrants flourish. This podcast episode is being produced in conjunction with our event in October of this year about careers and activism and in the refugee sector. So today we're going to be chatting about career development as well as studying related subjects at master's level. Um, So, Amos, thank you so much for being with us and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jenny. (laughs) Um, So to get started, could you tell us a little bit about the organisation that you founded, Our Second Home, and the kind of work that you do, and also how it was that you came to found it?
1: yeah of course and also sorry if if there's background noise um (laughs) i'm having a door replaced in my flat which is (laughs) not quiet so if you hear if you hear loud banging that is that um just like us. um so our second home as you said we're uh, the the uk's youth movement for refugees and people seeking asylum um, and we support young people aged 14 to 18 to flourish into adulthood um the story of how our second home came about for me um begins much earlier it begins when i was 14 and um, i went on a summer camp for the first Mm -hmm. time i went and i had two friends and didn't really know what was going on i ended up in a field with 60 70 other people um and i spent two weeks sat on a rock playing guitar because i didn't i was you know an awkward 14 year old didn't know what to do (laughs) but by the end of those two weeks i i suddenly had friends and a community and and you know opportunity to explore my values and um, and some, you know, suddenly, uh, sort of something of a transformative experience, just in two weeks of being in a field. And so for me, I just I kept going back. Um, okay. I was fourteen when I first went as a participant. By seventeen, I was leading a group of ten-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I had ten-year-olds in my care. By age wow. twenty, I was managing a group of young leaders who, like I was when I was seventeen. And by 23 24 I was the director of the whole movement. Oh. Now. That is not me bragging. That is actually how the movement works. Every year mm-hmm. there's a new person who goes through that, com- who ends up at the top of that, that pyramid on a conveyor belt. We're all being pushed through that, that conveyor belt in a model I of see. youth leadership and empowerment. If it was transformative for so many people that have had that experience, in this case it was happening in the Jewish community, then mm-hmm. why could it not happen in other in other communities? Because, of course, youth, the Jewish youth movements came about when... Um, the Jewish community in the UK was itself a refugee community
0: mm-hmm. and it was
1: providing an opportunity to reflect on, uh, what made you different, what made you different from people around you, but also what made you similar. It gave an opportunity to build leadership and also build community and to build resilience as well. So there's no reason why that couldn't have worked for the refugee communities of, of 2022, which is mm-hmm. how we ended up thinking that this was a good model to, to offer, um, in, uh, in, to, to today's, um, people seeking sanctuary young young people especially um so we have been running residential since 2018 um we have, we were typically running one or two a year this in 2022 we took a step up and have been running five um so we have, have built a really strong network of both our own volunteers um and also a network of 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 the leaders that we've trained through our movement so people who have who have taken those steps up just like I did um yeah. as 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 a teenager um, doing that from scratch has been a really interesting experience. I, yeah. when I first built, uh, OSH, I was, uh, working full-time. Um, I was working in sort of student field work. Um, so I was visiting a lot of universities and speaking to people and sort of re-engaging with that, with that world. And then I carried on into that, uh, as a, as a student as well, doing a master's, um, which I'm happy to talk about in a bit. Um, and it was very interesting to have that, to have that, those opportunities to, to do it, to, to do both and, and yeah. to sort of warm myself up into a place where this became a really a, a bigger job and a bigger pull on my time because there's no reason that you have to see these roles as all or nothing these are things that you can warm up into and
0: grow into and that's how I sort of approach it. yeah yeah to said, so it's sense that's really it's really interesting to hear about how it kind of interacts with what you're doing as a student and kind of how it became something more full-time Mm. um yeah so kind of in a similar vein how did you go about balancing finding that balance and like yeah the balance between your work and your studies and kind of the shift between those things taking up more or less space in your life Mm.
1: so i think on one hand there's sort of a a mindset that is required in order to do this from from the from from the beginning Mm. because i was I was working on OSH as a volunteer for for many years, and then only for I was only paying myself for a day a week, mm-hmm. even though I was definitely working more than a day a week for a long time. Um, and there's an, a need to to sort of be there's there's a willingness that's required to to do this work um, in order to in in order to succeed. Uh, if you believe this is something that needs to happen, you need to there's a degree of self sacrifice, and that you know there's a there's obviously a lot of privilege in me saying this because I was in a position where I could where i didn't have i didn't have so many depend so much dependence uh or, or I didn't have you know the, the need the the restrictions on on volunteering my time um mm-hmm. both you know in my in, in my free time and also perhaps in my work time and I was you know under underpaying myself so that is a real um a, a real uh, um a real challenge that's that is um needs to be confronted for anyone who wants to be, wants to found a project. Yeah. But also there's ways around it. There's, there's not, not only one, uh, one route. And what I often find is that the strength of what Osh can achieve is mostly through the teams that we're part of. Um, so I built one of the first things I did is I, I reached out to one person, um, who was sort of a mentor of mine and helped, and he helped me take those first steps, um, with, um, Take take those first steps in terms of understanding what wash could be and how to make it work. And he he said, you know, I was saying to him, oh my god, how on earth are we going to do this? And he broke it down very clearly for me and said, you know, what we're looking for is X. We're looking for, um I think it was something like twelve thousand pounds, which to me sounded impossible.
0: And mm-hmm. he was like, no, no, it's easy.
1: You just do this, 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 <laughs> and this, and then you end up with the funding, and I'm going to help you. Oh, wow! So I had one person already on, on behind, you know who was backing me from from that angle and then I had a team yeah. of people who of other volunteers who I'd worked with and I knew and I could trust and we worked together to you know create the program to create to to find the participants to find the volunteers to help train the volunteers to do every single aspect that we needed to to make this program mm-hmm. possible so it was not by any means um you know impossible uh, sort of uh, we were all working at the edge, edges of our comfort zone but yeah. We all were able to build that together, and it was only because they were willing to get involved and they were willing to, you know, allow me to manage them and support them through that process that we were able to put, bring this together. But it was that combination of everything.
0: Yeah, well, that's pretty exciting. Like having, yeah, those people around you who are kind of as excited and like, um, willing to to get something like that moving.
1: Um, Absolutely, but also I think you know we didn't know what we were doing when we first started. So we yeah. had, we had volunteers coming on our training day and we knew we wanted to do a training day and they're like, right. So what, what's, you know, what's the idea, what's going on? And we were basically making it up as we mm-hmm. went along. We, you know, we, I had run trainings before for leaders. I'd run all of these things before when it came to, you know, making it work for us, didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. People were, you know, looking, you have to also trust what you're, what you're doing and trust your gut because if you've reached a point where you're at that level of of delivery where you're like piloting and really making it work, then yeah. there's enough people have backed you and enough people have, have bought into what you're doing for them to think that you're doing the right thing. So you yeah. have to like put those imposter syndrome gremlins down so that you can mm-hmm. so that you can sort of back yourself because ultimately you don't reach the stage of people wondering, Are you legit? without enough people knowing that you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it must be. A, it's a good thing, I guess, to have as a kind of of um, grounding. I suppose thinking in those moments of doubt, where you're like, actually, this is something really worthwhile, and people believe in this. And yeah, I can imagine that's really that's really helpful. Um. <laughs> yes, <sir>. uh, <laughs> um so yeah, uh, moving kind of on from that, I want to ask, um, what's been something unexpected about your job or the work that you do and that you wouldn't necessarily have predicted when you you got into it
1: I mean it's there's there's lots of cliches I could give you here Mm -hmm. uh, genuinely you know every day is exciting every day is is you know is, is a really joyful challenge yeah um I think one thing that's always really important to remember um, I'll give you the, the sort of the boring surprise and then I'll give you an exciting surprise <laughs> after the boring surprise is that running a charity is actually running a charity, whether you're, you know, selling, whether whether you're selling t-shirts or whether you're running, re- you know, residential camps.
0: Um,
1: yeah. A lot of it is, you know, fundraising and strategy and, um, and dealing with compliance and dealing with um, HR and um, troubleshooting various problems. So, <laughs> you know, if you go into these projects because you want to be the person on the front line yeah um you're not necessarily setting yourself up to be for success and for happiness in in mm-hmm. in that particular role um so i think there's a lot of thinking that needs to be done for you uh, or you know for anyone who's who's got this entrepreneurial instinct in this and an idea that may work to really reflect on whether that's the way the the approach they want to take because sometimes actually working in another role in a bigger charity may give Mm -hmm. them the it it may scratch the itch that they have more so than more so than um than starting their own thing so i think the surprise that i felt in that in that instance was that actually a lot of my role is not necessarily to be the person at the front of the trip because a trip Mm -hmm. only happens you know we run five trips a year but that's a, a that comes to about a month or out of a year where I'm on a residential, which when okay. I say it like that it sounds like a lot, but that's also 11 months of the year when I'm not on a trip and I'm doing yeah. paperwork.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you you know that was a surprise for me about about some of the mundanity. Yeah. Um, and then I think you know when you're building a community of of like minded people, there's there's a lot to gain out of um there's there's the, the sort of the surprise and the joy out of what it means to build these communities and these experiences out of people with people who are from all over the world who can share their experiences and, can share, and can, share, can share their, what, you know, the things that bring them joy. So I've, you know, yeah. I've learned dances and languages and learned about food and learned about culture and learned about celebration from all these different places around the world. There's not many other jobs that let you do that. Mm-hmm. I get to, you know, dance to, I get to dance to like the, the best, most exciting music coming out of Sudan and Eritrea and Ethiopia and Afghanistan and Iran and Syria <laughs> and Ukraine and all these places because... That's what we do. That's that's yeah. what how we build a community. And it, you know, there's there's much more that come, that we need to do every day that makes that possible. But yeah. then at the end of the night, we get to let our hair down, and it's really really joyful. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what I was going to be doing with my time. And yeah. I think you know when I compare compare notes with my friends who are not in these kinds of jobs, none of them are doing that. And mm-hmm. I, I think that you know for me is is just one of the real the real joys is that I get to share these experiences with with these fat, like really fun young people um yeah God, I sound old when I say that these fun young people <laughs> but these people are really lovely and really cool and I get to just like hang out with them It's really nice
0: yeah I've like got so much to be said for like sharing joy with people in those kind of situations That's absolutely really really lovely um and yeah kind of um in a slightly different vein going moving on to a sort of study um I noticed that you you did a master in migration studies is that right um yes. And I'm also in the middle of one at the moment. So Oh we okay. so, should compare notes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in that kind of area, would you recommend doing something like a master's um in migration or refugee studies, or just in remaining within academia as a way into your line of work? Or do you think it's more like doing the practical experience or both? Or it depends on the person or <laughs>
1: So I think ultimately it depends. I have I, I, mm. my, my, my strongest opinion about this. And, and I, I'm sorry that if this doesn't fit the bill for you, Jenny, is that <laughs> I think that everyone no, that no one should take, do a master's straight after their undergrad. I think okay. that it's really, really important <laughs> to take a couple of years of real practical experience before you jump yeah. into something else. Because had I done my master's in, had I gone straight from my undergrad to my master's and it was very tempting because I really loved being at Leeds Uni. Like, I really would have happily spent another year there at least. If I'd gone and decided to apply straight out into, into, the, into the next course, I would have ended up studying terrorism and security, which is mm-hmm. relatively interesting. I've got a lot of problems with it now, and I don't want, don't want to have contributed both you know, several thousand pounds into that and my time and you know, put myself down a path where that was my career at that time. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have made me ha- you know, as happy as what I'm doing now, and I wouldn't have yeah. known that. It took me several years of doing other work to stumble into what became our second home to then realize Mm -hmm. that what I needed to study in order to bring, take my career to the next level was migration studies or forced migration refugee studies. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I got some things out of that time. Partly it was a year of thinking and a year of reflecting that let me build out some of the stuff I was doing um, in terms of, um, in, in terms of, How to how to develop OSH or some frameworks to think about OSH. So you know, thinking about the um, aspirations and capabilities framework, which is an academic framework to 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 think about mobility, um, that was really useful. A few you know, some of the theorists said things that were quite quite interesting. Did I need to do it in order to achieve what I've what I have achieved? Probably not. But I got to spend a year meeting really nice people. Learning from some of the most intelligent people I've ever met, um, mm. studying alongside some of the most intelligent people I've ever met too, um, and it was really, you know, it was it was, a, it was an experience that I'm really grateful to have had. It we're in we're in a sector in the refugee and migration sector where there is certainly, you know, more more demand for for jobs than there is supply. There's not a huge mm. amount of money rolling around the sector, and there are a lot of people who care about refugees and wants to, wants to contribute, which means that there is a bit of an arms race to get get a masters um yeah. because that will get you seen above some of the, some other people mm-hmm. that's a lot of money and a lot of time to spend on a, a mid level job there yeah. are probably there are other ways in and mm-hmm. you know in terms of if you if you are in a position to to volunteer um and to build connections like that if you're able to build skills that are not um non-academic but you know in terms of fundraising or comms these mm-hmm. are things that people need that, that there's a, more of a demand for those are the other ways in um yeah so i was very happy to have done it it didn't help me get a job because i was already trying to work into my in my um in it, it start up you know my my own charity although to be honest it did help me get a job because i was working part-time uh at student action for refugees when i was mm-hmm. um after after my master's um but I have now met 30 really amazing people who are work, working in migration uh, spaces across the world. Um, yeah. So now as I, you know, if if from both, you know, I've now met really nice people. and I'm sure, Jenny, that you've had the same experience in your master's.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and there's a degree of sort of, you know, perhaps some professional networks that can be gained out of that. Because now mm. I, if, if Osh, or, or if any of my future projects, or anything else that I want to do, requires me to know about the se- sectors in other countries, I'm now in a position to to pick up the phone to some really nice people who are willing to help me, and I'm willing to yeah. help them too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that, and it's it's interesting that um what you said about like taking time out between courses, um because I think for a lot of people that feels it feels very daunting, but I definitely can see the. Value, especially within with a sector like this, just like having that time between undergrad and masters to actually work out what it is that you want to do and the kind of realities of actually doing it. Um, Absolutely, yeah, Absolutely. definitely. With like a migration studies master, I feel like it can feel quite detached, and if you haven't had that, if you haven't got that like application of it, um, I don't know if that was your experience, but. Um, yeah, so I, I really agree with what you said.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've worked with there are a number of people who I uh, have who I studied alongside and worked alongside who are then then go on and do PhDs. And so mm-hmm. in some ways, the most practical applications aren't necessarily relevant. They're looking at the academic yeah. research context, yeah. and in that you know in that case, all power to them, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think that where where I, there's where you should be aiming for both because if you mm-hmm. have if you can build up your uh pra- if you can build up your practical experience um with a research background and uh, an awareness of, the, of wider issues then you're going to be a, you're going to be a better hire and also a better professional um mm-hmm. in the sector and li- likewise the other round, by the way around if you want to go into research and you have practical experience that can inform how you approach your research design and how you approach um some of these things that feel a little bit detached that can ground you that's also yeah. that will also help you as as a um, as as an as an academic.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty really interesting. Um, to kind of bringing bringing things to a close a little bit, um, my last question that I had was: um, What advice would you give to young people aspiring to work in um, maybe in activism or the charity sector or with refugees more broadly?
1: So I think the simplest piece of advice um is not necessarily anything to do with um to do with the career itself mm-hmm. but is something that applies to lots of things which is to look after yourself yeah. i remember sitting in my first refugee sector meeting sort of uh it was a network of 30 organizations acted in south london and the average age in that room was not particularly high and that's because burnout is a real issue in the refugee sector because you're spending mm-hmm. every day hearing really difficult stories about people's lives yeah you're both you know the journeys that they took to reach the UK and then the challenges and the barriers that they faced whilst trying to seek sanctuary here the racism that's inherent within the hostile environment the um the day-to-day challenges and you know the feeling of a lack of hope that you you Mm -hmm. get from that that you feel like you're you are pushing you know you're pushing um pushing against a brick wall Mm-hmm. Which pushes a lot of people away from both the refugee sector and also from from um from you know non nonprofit work in general because you can have a nicer time an easier time working in for profit spaces and
0: yeah
1: you can't really blame people up to a point mm-hmm. um so you have to be really diligent about looking after yourself in whichever way that you need in order to sustain a career in this in this space in order to prevent burnout because burnout can happen both because of the experiences that you're having and also because of the relentless nature of the work um Mm -hmm. so i think practicing self-care is really important if even if it sounds a bit trite to say that and then i think the other part is to gain inspiration that from far and wide whether you are building hands-on um sort of program delivery things or if you're working on campaigns um you should you know you should read widely and you know try and get, you know, try and learn widely because you'll never know what you, um, what you can gain inspiration from, um, on a very, you know, for, for me, I took something, I, I took an experience that I had that wasn't necessarily applicable to the, the world that I was coming into and spent time working out how to make, how to make that relevant and whether it was relevant, I think more importantly, and in doing so built a charity that has a model that works. Um, Mm -hmm. I got told that what I was doing was, you know, very, very smart and very, very creative. In my head, I was doing something very, very obvious. And, you know, I was basically plagiarizing. But it was, I think, you know, the instinct to, to think slightly outside the box in terms of, um, in terms of what was possible for, for those communities. And you'll see sometimes, um, smart advertising campaigns, smart fundraising campaigns, smart projects, smart hands-on projects. That let people do really exciting, cool things. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that Solidarity does that's really great is it took a model that doesn't necessarily need to work in the refugee sector and made it work. Mm-hmm. Um, there you know, it's it's. I don't think it's particularly easy to have done what what has happened to build to build a charity of this scope, but it's because of the the, the networks um, that were built by students for students. Um, So I think if you are, you know, humble and make sure that you are reading widely and thinking widely and learning widely, then you will be able to bring that into your work and make that even, you know, strengthen your work and strengthen your sector.
0: That's really, yeah, I really, really love that. Especially, yeah, the idea of like, just listening to everything and being really open to all these experiences. I really, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, So, yeah, I think that kind of brings us to a close for for this episode and Amos thank you so much for for being with us thank Um, you Jenny it's been really yeah really fascinating to hear about your insights about your career and your studies um and yeah I loved hearing about how you you built up your organization um and so you've been listening to Solidarity's Right to Refuge podcast thank you so much for tuning in today